Well, at last, five chapters in, and we have come to that infamous saying I told you about in the very beginning, that the handwriting is on the wall. Um, and what exactly does that mean? You know, you actually find that in lots of other sayings that are very familiar to you. For example, well, it's set in stone, or you've cooked your goose, or the favorite one that mothers use, which is, well, you made that bed, now lay in it. And it's just meaning it is what it is and what it's going to be. And um, I love how popular culture actually sometimes reveals biblical wisdom, and they don't even know it. For example, watch this clip with me um, quickly, if you will, from A Knight's Tale. You have been weighed. You have been measured. And you absolutely have been found wanting. Welcome to the new world. God save you, if it is right that he should do so. look at God's word and see what does he really mean in all of this and in the handwriting on the wall and that's what we're going to look at this morning so if you haven't opened your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5 please do so and we're going to focus on three people actually that are affected um, in the story today three main characters the first is Belshazzar and he was blinded by his own arrogance or ignorance really the result is the same doesn't really matter then you have Daniel who was brought in to save the day um, because he done it before it's kind of like same song different verse so let's try that one again let's pull it out and then Babylon the great and mighty Babylon we're going to see when we get to the final verse of this chapter is broken by the Medes and the Persians and so let's take a look at those now so in the beginning we see as the chapter opens up with King Belshazzar so right off the bat we know this is really a story that has to do with him this is this is his part of the story and it's really not necessarily a pretty picture that we see because what we see is he is blinded by pride arrogance or ignorance and just a little history lesson to go back is helpful if you read the commentary it does tell you this but what we know is that after Nebuch the great Nebuchadnezzar died there was some palace infighting as often happened in ancient in the ancient world um, in kings and kingdoms there was often you know jockeying well not that it's really any different than politics in America so same thing happened there was a lot of jockeying and people changing and maneuvering there were actually reigns by three different kings between Nebuchadnezzar and Nabonidus now Nabonidus some believe that he married the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So he wasn't a son, but he married into it. It's a good thing to do. And so he married up, and um, Belshazzar was his son. So it's confusing because throughout it talks about, it, it uses the term father 
for Nebuchadnezzar, and you're thinking, hmm, but really Nebuchadnezzar was the grandfather, and Belshazzar is the grandson. So in Hebrew, that, that term father, mother, can be used interchangeably for any generation above you, um, beyond you. So either due to poor health or some other reason, Nabonidus didn't spend a whole lot of time in Babylon. And so he appointed Belshazzar as a co-regent. And that's how he got into the position that he did. Um, When the book opens, what has occurred in history, if you study history, you will find that the Medes and the Persians had already been marauding and conquering all the territory around Babylon. They literally had come up and were encamped around the city of Babylon. So they'd really taken everything else had fallen. Nabonidus had gone away and he had already lost and fled um, the the territory that he was defending. And so now the Medes and Persians are camped outside Babylon. So that's what we have. Um, No one had successfully stormed Babylon in 1,000 years. Now why is that? It was a fabulous, fascinating, incredibly built city. It had this constant source of water because the Euphrates River flowed right through the middle of it under the walls. It had walls, some people say were, some historians say were actually several feet thick and up to 300 feet high. It was just, you know, um, impervious to really be taken. And that's actually part of the problem for Belshazzar, because you see, he began to have confidence in his defense. He thought he was invincible. Have you ever thought that? I have, Um, whether that's spiritually, whether that's in some position you're in, whether that's as a parent, oh yeah, I've got great kids, Um, or whether that's as a wife, I have a great merit. I mean, be careful that you do not put your trust in the wrong thing, because there's really only one thing, one person that you can trust, and that is God alone. So here we have a perfect example, Belshazzar trusted in the wrong thing, the strength So really the question we have to ask ourselves as we read the rest of the chapter and as we look is what or who am I trusting in today? That really is the overriding thing. And we can see some things that that really fell out and began to happen here for Belshazzar. First, uh, what we notice right off the bat is that when, verse 2, Belshazzar had tasted the wine, he commanded all these other things that were taken out of Jerusalem to be brought in. Okay, well, so... When he had tasted the wine, the first thing I think of is when you're drunk, you do some stupid things. Okay, this is bothering me. Uh, Could you put that down, Sherry? Because they'll get mad if I leave my post because the the video will lose me and that'll be bad. So anyway, but I can't see in the, the, um, I can't see those girls because of that thing right there. It's bothering me. So just, we could just lay it down. Perfect. Thank you. So yeah, when you're drunk, you do some stupid things. So he didn't just have a little. What we know is they had been feasting for some long period of time, but basically however long, when, after he had done this, then he gets the bright idea, I'm going to bring out those gold vessels. And that was his undoing, you know. So why did he, why did he throw this drunken bash when he knew that his enemies were camped around his city? Well, I think three things could have, could have been the reason. And I know you talked about this. Number one, he was either thumbing his nose at his enemy. That would be the height of arrogance. He was in denial. 
And that would be purely ignorant. Or he was just celebrating the holiday of a god or goddess. And when you read history, there actually was a celebration. The whole city was celebrating. And when you read historians, you find everybody in the city was basically drunk. So when, the, when they do, ultimately the way they got in is they diverted, the Medes and Persians diverted the Euphrates River to where the water level went down and they went right under the moats and into the city. And what they found were the people were unprepared. They were so out of it with their celebration that they were easily overcome. And that's what too much of a good thing will do to you when you are drunk. I, I don't know about you, but it, this just reminds me a whole lot of a college fraternity party, a whole lot more of that than anything else. It should have been a state dinner going on, okay? But it really looked like a frat party. And my son hates that word, but that's really, you know, that's really what it is. When it gets to this point, it's not a state dinner anymore. All of the decorum has gone out and we are not in our own mind anymore. And that's what happens when you fill yourself with a spirit that isn't the holy one. And so it reminds me so much of the verse from Isaiah 22:13 that says, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like, who cares? You know, it's, 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 um, uh, Scarlet O'Hare, like fiddly D, I'll worry about that tomorrow. I'm going to be on today, whatever today is. That's the thinking. And ladies, what you will find, if you in your Bible went to Isaiah 22, 13, and looked it up, if you've got a Bible that's a study Bible, out to the side, it might take you to another place in Revelation that basically says the same thing because it history repeats itself and it is going to repeat itself in the end of time with the same scene. People will be partying and marrying and giving in marriage, and they will think nothing of their eternal life all the way to the end of time. But God will judge. He will be just. And so um, whatever the reason that was going on here, ultimately we know Belshazzar crossed the line when? When did he cross the line? When he took the holy vessels. His grandfather had at least, even though he was a pagan, he had treated these things that he had taken from Jerusalem, he treated them with respect. Here, we see the line is crossed and there's no respect. It, it would be like a drunk coming in when you're at communion in, in your place of worship and literally picking up the communion cup and go, cheering and saying, you know, great, let's have a party. It's, that's basically what this was, this is what was happening. And then that takes us to, I think, verse 5, which suddenly the mood changes. And that's my second point, that when you're sober, you, you can do and think serious things. And suddenly that's what happens. Look at verse 5. It depends on your translation. In some translations, the word beginning verse 5 is suddenly. In mine, it's immediately the fingers of a man's hand appeared. Ah, with this one little word, everything changes. And what a contrast to chapter 4, where in chapter 4, when Daniel had interpreted the dream to the king, he said, oh, let this be for someone else. And, and, and if you'll just do the right thing, maybe God will change his mind. And we saw that Nebuchadnezzar had a year to think on that and alter his course. Not the case here. Whatever the reason of the intention of the heart here, it was judged immediately. And I think the key thing here this tells me is what a perfect illustration this is of who God is. You see, in our culture, many times we get confused and people so want to hang on to God is love. He's a loving God. Yes, he is. But he is a just God as well. 
And you know what? We want justice. On, on certain things, we want it. As long as it's for the guy that killed so-and-so or did thus and so or the one that did Tower Le- we want justice for them. But when it's me that has done the wrong thing, I'm kind of like, God, he's a loving God, isn't he? I really don't want that justice right now. I want the loving part. And you know what? We don't get to pick and choose. God is love and God is justice. And we will see that again, repeat. It was, it was foretold in Isaiah, and we're going to see it in the end of all time, that God will judge, and it will not seem fair to some, but it is so fair. Listen to Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for dark, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those wise, like Belshazzar thought he was, in their own eyes, heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. All those fraternity parties, they're right there. Who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, because of all that, just like tongues of fire lick up straw, so the roots will decay for They, doing these things, have rejected the law of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. This isn't the other guys. This is against his own. The the anger of God burns against his people, and his hand will be raised, and he will strike them down. You see, this was foretelling, Isaiah was foretelling what would happen to, uh, to the nation of Israel. And so we see, like any good parent, God disciplines his children. That's what you see. Yes, he loves them. But if you didn't discipline your child, no one would want to be around them. The same is true for us, that God loves us, but in that love, he is going to be just. I think so many people today walk around with a false sense of security. We ignorantly believe that life is one big party. Again, walk onto any college campus on a Friday night and you will see it lived out all in front of you in vivid, well, for that matter, go to a cowboy game and just sit back and watch what goes on around you or the ranger stadium or you name it. And you're like, wow, are you, these are adults that are acting like they're still 19. Wow, this is unbelievable. And yet the day of reckoning is coming. It's going to come for every one of us. And for some, it will come sooner than it does for others. So just in recent memory, let's just think back to the people in Haiti a very short time ago, who were marrying and giving in marriage marriage and having a party and enjoying life. Okay, let's just talk a week ago. The toxic waste sludge in Hungary that came sweep. Can you even imagine when it's described what that was like and what it, and the devastation? Or let's bring it to Dallas, Texas. What if you were the young girl, Lauren Huddleston, jogging on the Katy Trail and you made a wrong turn and your life is over like that the day of reckoning came that day that moment in the prime of her life it was taken from her by being hit on the katie trail oh my goodness no warning seemingly and yet death comes and we know when studying god's word that there's a new testament parallel to this book of daniel and it's the book of revelation and we're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come but i can't help wanting to sh- take you there very quickly and to say that the apostle paul speaks again of what we're talking about right here uh in the babylon of in- of the end times babylon will rise again now it's not going to be called babylon it's probably going to be called some other name but it's in the same land in the same place and ladies we know that babylon of old is what what is it today 
Iraq. Exactly. So let your mind run on that one for a while. Don't know who or what the city's going to be, but Babylon of old will rise again. And listen to what he tells us in Revelation 9. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues, and we're going to talk about this later, but there are going to be a series of plagues. They um, are very similar to the plagues that occurred in Egypt that was judgment on Egypt. So it's very similar. It's, it's a mirror, a picture image. It's going to be very similar. And millions of people are going to die based on these. And yet still, with all this death and destruction around them in the end times, it says the rest of mankind that were not killed still even still, did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons or their idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, nor their magic arts. They didn't repent of murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And you know what? The things that are spoken of here are almost exactly the list that you find in Daniel. So these people sitting there, as this hand began to appear and write, were... They had to be scared spitless, just frightened out of their wits at that moment. And so they were very afraid. It was clear something was going on. And what we know is many of them faced death that night. Belshazzar died. I would venture to say probably most of the people in the feast that night died, along with the majority of the whole city that was, was a partying in, this, in the streets. And yet today, us. We don't need to fear death, even if it comes as we leave here today, if we know Christ. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians that death has lost its sting. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It's no more because Christ has conquered death. And so if you worship at Watermark and have been in the series that Todd finished a week ago, he's been in a series about how to share your faith. And in it, he actually went through and talked about the Romans Road. And I'm going to just go through it and try to personalize it for you today. If you are sitting here and you do not know for certain where your destiny would be if your life were snuffed out on 75 on your way home, then I'm begging you, do not leave this room till you are certain what your eternal destiny would be because judgment is coming and it could come for you when you least expect it. And so the question really is, if I don't know that, how do I, how do I get there? And the first thing you do is with a humble, something that Belshazzar was missing, a humble and contrite heart, you simply acknowledge that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Very simple statement. And that's Romans 3.23. And then I, I want to, to um, understand, God, that the penalty for me doing that is my death. It, it is death. You're demanding death. That's, the, that's what you're asking. But then you want to continue to step down through and realize that Christ alone is the payment for that sin and that I don't really have to clean up to come to you. I'm a mess sitting in this room right now. I'm a mess, God. And how I love that God showed his love for me in that while I was in the middle of my sin and nastiness, you sent Christ to die for me and pay for my sin. That's Romans 5.8. And then ultimately, if I will just confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you raised Christ from the dead, I will be saved. Romans 10.9. That's all you need to know. Don't leave here without hiding that in your heart and confessing with your lips. And that takes us to the second part. That Daniel comes on the scene and he is brought in to save the day. Again, as he had done before, 
for his grandfather. So we see a man that's willing to take a stand. You would think that Belshazzar would have been aware of Daniel, and he actually says, I've heard of you. Come on, are you serious? I've heard of you. Um, And you'd think if he'd heard of him and the miraculous things that he had done, because remember, we're not finished. We haven't even got to the lion's den. We're going to actually go back in chronological order next week. So don't get confused. We've been chronologically running along, and we're going to get out of chronological order. So again, uh, don't let that wig you out. Just know that we backed up. Look at all the things he did. He is now in his 80s at this point. You would think the guy would have had him in a prominent position, but why not? Well, we don't know for sure. It could have been because they thought he was too old. Maybe somebody back there retired him and stuck him somewhere else. But whatever the reason, you know, again, change in, in, in um, administration, just like in America today, change of administration, everybody in the cabinet changes. Hey, I'm not going to keep him. I'm going to get my own guy. And so it doesn't really matter whatever happened in all. We're going to find somebody that will tell us what we want to hear. And I can't help but think of Daniel having some back office somewhere. Or maybe he didn't even have an office anywhere any, anywhere anymore. Maybe he wasn't even there in the palace. But they found him somewhere. And it just made me think, have you ever felt that way like Daniel? Like you're sitting on the sidelines, like your whole life is on the back burner. Your dreams, your aspirations, and you're wondering, what is going on? What are you doing, God? Because I'm not done yet. I'm still running the race. I'm 80, but I'm still going. And I I just think that must be how Daniel felt. But even though he was past his prime, when things look really bad, the queen mother, and again, this probably was not Belshazzar's wife. It was his mother that goes, oh, I know the guy. I got him for you. Let's find him. And so quickly they summon Daniel and bring him in. And he's the one who can reveal that there is a mystery in the message that's been scrawled across the, uh, across the wall. And even if many people could read the message that was there, it was common Aramaic words that were used, but even if they were, what happens in that language, that and Hebrew, are the vowels are pulled out, so there's just a series of consonants. So it would be like seeing R-D and not knowing if it was rid or rod or, you know, you, there's some interpretation. And all the words seem to be about money. And yet, that's not really what the message is. It's not a money message. It it is a weighing. It is a found wanting. But it doesn't really have to do with money. It has to do with heart. That's what's being evaluated here. And so Daniel brings clarity to the message. And what I love most in this section of Scripture is that Daniel makes it very clear he wants nothing to do with all the fame and fortune that is offered to him. They offer the royal robes, the gold medallion around his neck that means he's third and you know why he could care less about that why because he knew what we see in Matthew 6 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other stuff you need in life will be added to you as well so he didn't need the king stuff because he knew that he knew that already in his heart and I, I love that he's going to have to stand up and he's going to have to give a message it's going to be hard to hear Have you ever had to do that with a family member or a friend? Go to say something that's going to be very hard for them to hear? Be like Daniel today. Don't fear what man can do to you. Do what God is calling you to. Do what you know God is asking you to do. I love um, 
the verse, okay, where did I write that? There's a great verse that speaks um, exactly to this in James 4, 17. Whoever knows what is right to do and yet fails to do it, for him it's sin. So ladies, you've got to know when that, that little gnawing in your belly kind of starts and you're thinking, I should say something to her. I should say something right here. And you're just thinking, oh, but, you know, she's going to be mad. Or she's going to be angry or, oh, I don't know how they'll take that or that might be depressed. No, when you know the right thing to do, when you fail to do it, you are sinning. It's a sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against the other person. You're not helping. Jump in. Be like Daniel. So like Daniel, maybe somewhere in your life you felt set aside by God, overlooked. Maybe you're overworked. Maybe your days are spent right now with a baby and you've got zero free time to yourself. Or maybe you've got a family member who's ill. Maybe you're the person that's ill yourself and you're not able to do what you want. Or possibly your husband's lost his job. Your money is so tight you couldn't possibly give to something God's doing that you would long to, love to, if things were different and you feel set aside well let's just learn from Daniel here ladies rather than letting that feeling draw you and and take you to a place of bitterness and betrayal and becoming angry at God learn from Daniel don't think for a moment God doesn't have you exactly where he does for a reason and a purpose look at Esther I love it Esther 414 and who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this where does God have you he's got you there for such a time. It's a purpose. There's a purpose. You might not see it. You might live to the end of your life and never see it, but you're there for a reason and a purpose, and don't you forget it. Read Daniel Daniel 5 again and be reminded, and know that ultimately, again, judgment comes because we see that Babylon was broken by the Medes and the Persians. There was a reckoning. Daniel's words within the night came to pass, um, I mentioned already that the river was diverted and that's how the, the uh, enemy was able to get in and rout the entire city and take them over. Um, it was Mardi Gras going on. But again, what we know from Hebrews 9, 27 is that as just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. So no, you cannot know the hour or the day of your death. You need to be prepared for judgment and live in that light every day that I am ready at every moment to face God alone. And the reason I am is because nothing that I have done, but only what Christ has done for me. And then we look at the reward because Daniel was rewarded. Even though he said, I don't want any part of it. The robe was put on him, the chain, your third in command, blah, blah, blah. And you might think, well, gosh, wouldn't he have been killed too when they came in and routed the city? I think... That one really perplexes me. I don't know why Daniel was preserved because if he was wearing all this garb, you'd think that they would have just taken him out too. But for some reason, he wasn't. And why is that? Again, no for certain ladies. God, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. You are preserved until God is finished with you. John tells us this in 10, 28, and 29. I gave them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will will be able to snatch them out of my hand. Your eternal destiny is set, but your destiny today is set till God is finished with you. That should give you um, great confidence as you go into the world. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all in this world, and no one in this earth is able to snatch them out of my hand. God clearly shows us 
once again, that he is in control, sovereign. That's what this is all about. And that he has numbered the days of each one of us. Every one of us, your days are numbered. Psalm 139 tells us that in verse 16. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were numbered for me. Don't think for a minute there's anything you can do to extend it, um, cut it short. It's in God's hands. He's ordained it. So the Babylonian kingdom, it didn't end by chance. It ended because God had numbered its days. He'd already told Nebuchadnezzar this was going to happen. It just, the time came, and it happened. And this so reminded me of a, of a chapter in this great book. If you haven't read Colson's book, The Body, this will encourage you about what God is doing in and around the world in his body. It's living, it's breathing, it is here, and it's on the other side of the world in Africa, for that matter, uh, in Romania. And I want to read to you very quickly just a quick little excerpt. This is about... Um, Romania, again, if you can remember, this wasn't that long ago, but remember Nicholas uh, Ceausescu? Um, he was the cruel president of communist Romania. And the whole thing broke and crumbled around the stand of one man, a pastor by the name of Laszlo Tokes. He finally refused to bow to the communist demands. He had been beaten. He was imprisoned. He even was exiled for a time. But repeatedly, he would come back to his little congregation, and he's like, uh, whatever you can do, it's not gonna. It's, I'm gonna keep doing what I need to do. And here's what he says, dear brothers and sisters. Um, Tokes looked out over his upturned faces of his congregation. These Christians had paid a high price to worship. Each of them was braving the gauntlet of secret police in order to enter the building. Their names had been noted on the secretariat's endless list. Their physical lives had been made more miserable by their stand, even as their souls. Listen to this. Their lives had been made more miserable even as their souls became more and more prosperous you think you're miserable physically now man all that does is give your soul a chance to become more and more prosperous to shine and that's what was happening in the church in romania and so he tells them i've been issued a summons of eviction i won't accept it so i'll be taken from you by force next week they want to do this in secret, but they have no right to do it. So please, come next Friday and be a witness of all that will happen. Come, be peaceful, but be my witnesses. And he could see the pain on their faces. Five days later, on December 15, 1989, was a good year. Jordan was born that year. The secret police came to take Laszlo and his wife, Edith. They brought a neat moving van for their belongings, but they never got to load the truck. For mass protectively around the entrance to the building stood a human shield. Heeding the pastor's call, members of the congregation came to protest. Residents of Romania were, were used to friends and loved ones being taken off in the night, hauled off to prison or interrogated. But on this day, a flame of hope arose. It sprang up within the crowd. They really could perhaps prevent their pastor's departure. Maybe they could make a difference this time. And it goes on, and it talks about people would get off the, the uh, tram stop, and they would see all these people, and they'd say, what's going on? And when they hear, they would join the crowd. Meanwhile, uh, La Lagos Varga, a friend of Tuck's, began making telephone calls. He rallied, rallied believers from all over Timisora, Baptists, Adventists, Pentecostals, Orthodox, Catholics, the church, universal, that all believes that Jesus Christ came to die. And later that day, when Tokes opened the window of his flat to talk to the people, he experienced what he called the turning point of my life. These were not my parishioners, but they were mixed in, Baptists, Adventists, Orthodox priests, some of their Romanian flock. I was so moved, and it now changed how I see my old prejudices. We cannot make 
make a common cause. We cannot fight side by side being divided. Now that I've seen Romanians, Germans, Catholics, Orthodox defending me, I know I have to work for reconciliation between nationalities and creeds in this country. And work they did. The story goes on. And literally, because of this stand, a few days later, Ceausescu was overthrown. And Romania fell to communism in days because of this stand. Ladies, I don't know where in your life today you need to take a stand, but I'm positive there's something going on in all of us. Somewhere where we need to put the stake, we need to drive it into the ground, and we need to stand up and be accounted for our beliefs, our Christian faith, for Christ. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you that um, you give us this beautiful example once again of Daniel in the twilight of his life at the end taking a stand for you. And thank you that all around us we see examples of others doing the same thing. And let us not leave here today um, the same. Let us be different. Let us be women who will be willing today to take a stand for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.